Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School, Chicago. I hope and pray that the following message blesses you with peace and hope in Christ, who died and rose for you, for free. It is yours. If you'd like to support God's mission of giving life, hope, peace, joy, and love in the city of Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Peace. Devil said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. In the name of Jesus, amen. Grab a seat. Who are you is our first uh, subject as we go through the next six weeks looking at six different ways God provides for us in the wilderness and not only provides, even in the midst of the wasteland. We can have hope, we can have life, we can have peace. Anybody want that right now? All right, let's get it. God provides for it. Who are you, though? Today, identity. Whose are you? You ever hear of the term imposter syndrome? Came up in the 60s, okay. Somebody, or I'm sorry, in the 70s, somebody discovered, some counselor, psychologist discovered a series of feelings that their clients were having, and a lot of people shared, and so they came up with this phrase. It's not a mental illness, it's not that um, bad of an issue, but it's a feeling that could be described with the word imposter, feeling like an imposter. Does anybody feel like an imposter sometimes? I don't mean like an alien. If you do, please see me, by the way. Like you don't feel comfortable in your own skin. There's one way to feel like an imposter. I think of it like uh, when I was uh, these guys' age over here. I'm a high schooler, and I'm kind of thinking about going into college, and people are asking you, what do you want to be when you grow up, and what's your job going to be? I remember thinking, I don't, how do adults do adult things? You ever think like, like, how do they get a car or a mortgage or like do their stuff? I was scared to death, like, I don't know how to do any of this, and uh, you know, calculus is not helping me, by the way, uh, in school. And that's not true, I love calculus, but uh, you know, it just really, I was scared. Like, how do they do what they do? I remember uh, when I first, just like uh, Pastor Keating here was working with youth, and I'd have kids ask this, like, I'm really, I don't know how you buy a house. Like, he's like really worried that it's not gonna work out. And what's funny, can you relate? You become an adult, and you're like, oh, they never actually give you a manual. I'm just making this up myself, right? Like you're barely like, you feel like a phony. You don't feel fully, who feels fully like an adult? Like you know what you're doing. So that's kind of that, that feeling. It, it's, it gets, there's degrees of it where you'll get a job and you might be qualified and people might even applaud you for the great job you're doing, but you don't feel that. You feel like a fraud, like you're not that good and if they only found out that you're not this great whatever, you know what I mean? And you're kind of scared of being found out. It can be in relationships. It can be very deep and it can really affect your life. Always low self-esteem usually, that kind of sense. You just don't, you feel inadequate and you feel like you're faking it and you don't want anybody to know you're an imposter. I wonder if Jesus felt like this. I really do. I don't think he did, being the son of God. But I think he had a lot of reason to. 
I mean, he had some high, usually people with high perfectionism and high expectations, maybe they have it, maybe their parents gave it to them, that causes that imposter feeling because you have this in your head and you never quite feel there. Jesus, I mean, think about what was put in his head. Hey, yeah, you were born of a virgin. You are the son of God. In baptism, right before today's episode of uh, of being in the wilderness, the temptation, Jesus is baptized. The spirit comes down. A voice says, this is my son. Listen to him. Savior of the universe. I mean, talk about having high expectations for yourself. Jesus. And then Luke says, immediately from baptism, where everything looks perfect, this is the guy. The Spirit, he doesn't do this. The devil doesn't do this. But the Spirit leads Jesus out into the wilderness. For Israel, that's probably rocky. Nothing grows. Sometimes you see the word desert. You could call it a desert, wilderness, uninhabited place, wild animals, craggy rocks, the whole nine yards. No civilization. Seems odd for God to want to go there. And then we're told this. Luke says that he went without food. He ate nothing during those days. How many days was he there? Forty. And think about this too, that 40 number, Noah on the ark, 40 days, time of waiting, testing, one might say, right? What's next? Is the rain going to subside? And also Israel, 40 years literally in the wilderness. Actually, the same, maybe the same wilderness having to depend on God. So, so Jesus is out there. He's down. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's weak. He's sweaty. Lowest point, you could say. And who shows up? Satan does. And I think that's, I think we can relate. When you are at your lowest point, the devil is right there whispering about how worse it even is than it actually is, right? Making sure you don't see any hope, confusing you, lying to you. I think in this crazy time, the same sort of thing, it's hopeless. We just go to hopelessness, don't we, right away? Never going to be better, etc. Or our weakest point in our personal lives, right? We're down, we're scared when someone we know is hurting and suffering, right? We feel, you ever felt like that? When you're just surrounded by negativity, the devil clouding your head. And so Satan shows up, of course, when Jesus is down. And then Satan says something just fascinating. Think about imposter syndrome. I don't know, I don't know if Satan's being sincere when he says this. He's usually not. He's a liar, but he looks, he, he, Satan knows that God is going to finish him off. Satan was in the garden, not a wilderness, the opposite, where he tested Adam and Eve and they failed and he won. He got them to actually reject their identity as children of God. And they wanted to be like God, that's why they ate the fruit, right? And they failed and now they're even worse off and they're disconnected from their identity as children of God, from God, because shame and guilt does that. When you hurt someone else, you push away, you push them away in a relationship. So Satan won that test in the 
garden, and now he shows up in the wilderness. He knew that God was going to send a Messiah to get back at him, to make everything right again. So just imagine the devil knowing this, and the devil knows the Son of God. He knows this Jesus in a sense, and he sees this starving, sweating, weak man. I wonder if it fools Satan. He's looking for power and might, a battle, and he's seeing a suffering servant. And so Satan says this. Notice what he says. You can look it up if you don't believe me. Chapter 4 of Luke If you are the Son of God. That is such an existential question. Now, this could be written like in Kafka, the trial. Metamorphosis, who am I? Confusing identity. I think we deal with that now in the Western world with our luxuries, et cetera. We we can belly gaze and really start thinking and inventing Issues about identity that wouldn't be there if we actually were just sort of living day to day. If you are the Son of God, I don't know if Satan really is questioning because you don't look like the Son of God, or he knows and he wants Satan, he wants Jesus to doubt his identity. You know what I mean? Are you really the Son of God? Look at you. That's not what the Son of God should do. You don't look like the Son of God. And look what he says. If you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. In other words, and and notice all three temptations are very similar. If you are the son of God, it's the same thing. And then it's some grand thing. Don't suffer. Make something happen awesome. If you are God, wouldn't you snap your fingers and be happy all the time? Or create a situation where you are happy? Do you ever ask that about uh, what's going on right now if God's in charge, right? Looks at Jesus, if you're the son of God, why don't you just make yourself happy, satisfy yourself, turn that stone into bread? It's a good question. Why are you suffering? I mean, for us, we're suffering because we make ourselves suffer, we hurt each other, we ruin the environment, we ruin our relationships, we're the problem. But Jesus is the Son of God, and he's suffering. How stupid. I think it's a pretty good temptation. And it might even be a temptation just like he did for Eve and Adam. Pit them against God. Satan literally says, uh, God's hiding something from you. If you eat of this fruit, you can become like him. You're not going to die. And maybe... Satan's trying to get Jesus to think, your father has sent you down here to suffer. What a jerk. You're the son of God. Or maybe you're not. Pretty good, isn't it? Jesus responds, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that falls from the mouth of God. He's literally quoting Exodus when the children of Israel were going through the 40 years journey and they were in the wilderness and there was no food, literally. And God said, I will give you manna from heaven. It's gonna fall every day, but you can't collect it. You have to wait each day. 
You can't get a 401k. You can't get a retirement. You can't get a lump sum and you can invest it. You literally have to wait day by day for me, if I want to, give you manna. But I promise I will. Talk about a lesson of learning to literally depend on God. And the joke is, that's how we all live all the time. Man cannot live by bread alone. In other words, you don't live by you making everything. You make some stuff, you do some stuff, and that's good. But ultimately, we live by God's promise and providence. And sometimes you really got to learn that when you're stripped away from the ability to make things yourself. And I think we're learning that now. Don't take for granted the economy. You can't take for granted world peace. This just doesn't happen forever. You literally in your life is absolutely in God's hands day by day. Jesus repeats in the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us today our daily bread, not give me 80 years worth of stuff so I can feel safe and secure. Nope, my safety and security are in his promise, not in my actions. So the Son of God responds with the words that we should respond in the wilderness. God said he's going to take care of me, I am. Jesus says the same thing. He denies himself, he denies happiness, and continues to suffer, which God forbid we ever do. And then the next temptation you've got, they're all the same thing. The next one is, um, the next one is, I'll give you the whole universe. I'll give you the kingdoms. I own them now, Satan says. In a sense, he kind of does. And he tells Jesus, if you just worship me, they're yours. You came for them, didn't you? You came to rescue the universe and change everything. I'll give it to you. You don't need to suffer for it. You don't need to go to the cross for it. I will give it to you. All you have to do, quick and easy, worship me. Don't suffer. Why suffer? The Son of God shouldn't have to suffer. And of course, Jesus says you should worship God alone and the final one, very similar, takes him to the top of the temple, the center of the Jewish universe, the center of God's world, Jerusalem, puts him on top of there. Everybody's gathering. Everybody's in Jerusalem at this time. And he says, why don't you jump off and let the angels catch you? Because, and the devil quotes scripture and says, because my feet won't get hurt. You know, he starts quoting scripture because Jesus has been doing that. In other words, go to Jerusalem, but instead of suffering, instead of looking foolish, use your power. Look awesome. That's going to convince them. Instead of going to the cross, go to the top of the temple and fly and amaze them. See the similarity of each temptation. The son of, you say you're the son of God, but you don't act or look like someone who's God. You're suffering, you're hurt, you're weak, you're denying yourself. And Jesus says no to each one. And he wins. It's three temptations. That's a summary in the Jewish vocabulary. Three times it's whole. That's the essence of temptation for Jesus. And he says no to each, and he carries on and perseveres and doesn't fall. He wins. He passes the test. Do you hear Satan testing you in this wasteland? Are you really a child of God? If you are a child of God, shouldn't you 
your life be going better? If you really are a child of God, God says he loves you, shouldn't you be successful? If you're really a child of God, you're a saint, so we're told, in the holy waters of baptism. How come you're struggling with this sin? You think you're not a child of God. you got problems with sin. You're falling down. You're coming for forgiveness today. You did the same thing you said you'd never do last week. Who are you? And sometimes we fall down and we give in. Especially, man, I think the Christian church in America and our understanding of self-denial is gone. We have no clue what that means. We think we should have everything we want all the time. We should never say no to our desires. We should never say no to nothing. We should pursue happiness and be happy at all costs. And whatever we can do, we should avoid suffering if it means not doing God's will or his law, screw it, because it doesn't make me happy. Oh, God must not love me because he doesn't tell me to do, he doesn't want me to do this thing that I want. We fail this test. And in this time of craziness, Satan whispers it even more. How can you be the child of God because you failed the test? Right? You feel like an imposter here, sitting here right now? Because you have these high expectations that a Christian ought to be good and a Christian ought to be able to deny themselves all the time and a Christian ought to be just feeling good and happy all the time. And sometimes people actually think, because they look on websites of churches, oh, if I go to that church, I'm going to be happy like those people and everything's going to go well and you become a Christian and you're part of that church and it don't look like the the, the cover of the book. You feel like an imposter. I must not be that much of a believer Maybe I'm not saved at all, but God really forgive me. Jesus passes the test, we fail the test, but that's okay. Jesus didn't do this for himself. He suffered and denied himself. He came into our world, he came into our skin. He inhabited your skin in the wilderness and took the test for you and passed it, and more than that, took your F on the cross, and your failures, and your sin, your lack of self-denial, and your shame, and your guilt, and your lack of faith, and all was on the cross, and he received it and said, blame me. And in Christ, he consumed your old identity. And in baptism, he exchanges Yours for his, and pronounces you A+. He gives you the passing grade. He gives you literally his identity. You are a son or daughter of God, not because of how you feel or whether or not you pass the test, but because he says so. And we need, you need to understand that. It's crucial to the faith that you are a child of God, even though you might feel like an imposter. Don't trust your feelings. Don't even trust your faith. Yeah, don't trust your faith. Never trust your faith. Trust his words. Like Jesus says, don't live by bread alone, by every word that falls from another God. What's Jesus' words? You are a child of God. You are forgiven. 
you will rise again. I know it doesn't look like it all the time. It doesn't feel like it all the time. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of war, in the fog of the battlefield, and fears, and unknown, Satan wants to lie to you. Don't listen to his, what he tells you you are. Listen to what God says you are. You're his. You're a saint. You're going to be okay. He will lead you through this wilderness to a promised land. Let's try that as we walk through the wilderness and find life in that, a smile in the morning. Take your sins and give them to Jesus. I'm not my sins. I'm what Jesus says I am forgiven. Take your pains and your fears and your suffering. I'm not this, a dying, broken person, but I'm a resurrected person, and I live like that by faith, but one day I will see that. Every morning, remember, you are baptized in Jesus. You are a child of God, whether or not you feel like it, but because he says so, and he's the one who's risen from the dead. So I'm going to go with what he calls me more than what the world calls me. In Jesus' name, amen.